All right, good morning. Welcome to Haven Ridge this morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Again, I have to echo what I said last week. It is, it is truly a joy to see everyone. Um, whereas we've had to um, do services through, uh, through Facebook and online for, for several months, uh, it's good to at least be back in part um, here worshiping together. Um, and we certainly do miss uh, all of our church family who, for one reason or another, cannot be with us this morning. I know there are several that are sick, many who have had, uh, had, had babies and, uh, or, or have family members who are sick uh, or, or uh, have uh, pre-existing conditions and are just being very, very, very cautious. And so we certainly respect that and we, we appreciate that. So, but we do want to let everyone know that we miss them, those that cannot be here. So a couple quick announcements this morning. Um, our monthly men's gathering is going to be this evening uh, at 6.30 here at the church building. And uh, we haven't met for several months. And so much is going on in our, in, our cultural, so m- or in our culture, so many cultural shifts that are occurring. Alan and I wanted to just give an opportunity to, for the men of the church to sit down together, six feet apart, of course, you know, spread out. Uh, Alan and I are going to kind of sit up here and just moderate, moderate a discussion um, about current cultural events, what's going on, and particularly to hear from you. What are you struggling with? What are you hearing? What are you reading? Um, you know, where, where are your struggles? Um, those types of things. And then just kind of help, help us funnel that conversation through the lens of Scripture uh, and, a, and a biblical worldview. Um, because we as your pastors, we don't feel that it's our primary position to start proclaiming news articles and things like that, um, you know, just all over the place and, and willy-nilly, really, but to minister to you as families and to individuals. Um, and so that's one of the key things we want to do is just to kind of open up the floor for conversation and discussion uh, this evening. So, again, that's our uh, men's ministry meeting. Uh, anyone is is invited to that. We have a couple friends of ours who have heard about it and said, hey, can we come too? We're like, yeah, by all means, you know, come. Um, so I uh, hope that will be a, a good time of uh, fellowship and encouragement, sharpening one another this evening at 630 here at the church building. Um, also, uh, missional community leaders and team leaders, just be on the lookout. We're going to, Alan and I are going to um, be planning some meetings with y'all soon um, because with everything that's happening with uh, COVID-19 and moving into the fall, you know, we're still like, okay, what is this going to look like? So we need to talk to team leaders, talk to missional community leaders, and just kind of pitch a vision, uh, you know, a, a loose tentative vision, you know, or at least we have some ideas we want to hear from you. You know, what is the fall, what is the fall going to look like for Haven Ridge as a church? Where are our weaknesses now? Where are some things, you know, we need to kind of make sure that we're addressing? Because, again, you know, things have shifted, things have changed. And so we want to make sure that needs are met, uh, folks are being ministered to, and the gospel is going forth in full amongst our church body and then out into the world as well. Um, so just be on the lookout for that. Alan and I are talking about uh, details for, you know, how and when we can do those meetings, do them safely, um, and, you know, first and foremost, get in touch with you leaders uh, so we can kind of move forward. Um, also, if you haven't noticed, uh, our app is offline. Um, the, apparently, the company that, that we do the app through has just shut down, and uh, so we no longer have the app. Um, so just be in touch if you have questions or, you know, want to keep up to date with uh, what's going on, details. Be in touch with your missional community leaders. Certainly text or call Alan or I. Or check our Facebook page because those are probably the quickest ways that we can get information out, details, announcements, those types of things. So, but uh, Alan and I and um, our, uh, our our media team were, are working on looking at another platform for having a church app. And we're trying to get that up and going as soon as possible. So, just kind of know there's a 
little hurdle there to jump over, but we are working on it. Um, also, too, do look around, as I mentioned this morning, many are, many are not with us this morning, um, and we want to make sure that, you know, that, that everyone is, is, uh, feels welcome and included um, and know that they're missed and loved and cared for. Um, so look around you, look and notice who's not here, who's not here that we normally have, that you would normally see on a Sunday before kind of all this happened. Uh, see who's who's not here. Make a note of it and reach out to them today, tomorrow. Just let them know, hey, you, you were missed. How can I pray for you? How are you doing? Um, so do do make a note to do that. Um, also, one last thing, just a reminder, just for, you know, as we're going through this COVID-19 and and Greenville and the, and the surrounding area is, is still a hot spot. Just a reminder, uh, just refresh yourself with our, our policies and procedures for this. You know, of course, obviously masks are not required, but we do encourage them. Um, you know, if you're feeling sick at all or any symptoms, we ask you please stay home um, and, uh, and, and, and enjoy or, uh, you know, worship with us through online uh, opportunities. So do that. Um, if you or your children go to the bathroom, which are located right behind me on either side, um, do please just wipe down any surfaces that you touch. Uh, we do have cleaning supplies and things in both bathrooms. Um, so please do that. Um, and then know that as we leave and exit, uh, Tina and the hospitality team are cleaning behind us, you know, as, as we go. So no, we're doing our best, uh, you know, as, as, as the church body to just in help ensure that everybody stays safe uh, and we minimize any potential uh, spread. So, uh, as, of course, as you see, you know, we spread out uh, chairs and things. Appreciate everyone taking advantage of that. When the service is over, we ask that you do please just exit promptly. If you want to socialize, by all means, that's fine. Please do so outside, and we ask that you just do it at a safe distance. Okay? I think, is that, they hit all of them there? Okay. All right. Well, at this time, I'm going to ask Wesley to come up, read our scripture, and pray for us as we enter in this time of worship. The call of worship is going to be signed 99, Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let people tremble. The He is enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God, you and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of the cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statue that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forg forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of all, of all their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to spend together as a church body, Lord. We want to pray that you will help our hearts and ready them for the word we're about to hear. And Lord, were you... Lord, will you just open up our eyes to see the great word that you have given us and help us learn more about you every day and give us the opportunity to share the gospel and everything we do, Lord. We also want to thank you for our freedoms that we have been got from and all, all the opportunities that we've given 
or that all the opportunities that have we gotten to spread the gospel and Lord open people's eyes and let them let you come into their souls Lord we pray that you will help uh, my dad to help him preach your word and Lord we thank you for just all this time we could spend together Lord and I pray amen Thanks, Wesley. All right, so we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do one kid's song, and here's here's how that's gonna work. Okay, so the lyrics gonna be up there. We're gonna ask that because last week we did some kid songs, and it was really just kid exclusive. Well, not so much this week. Now we're not gonna ask you to bounce around in your chairs or anything, but. We're going to ask you to at least sing the lyrics as your kids sing the lyrics because you're singing together. And then we're going to have some uh, we're going to have some, uh, I guess, more adult worship songs uh, here in just a little bit. And we want the kids also to sing along with mom and dad. And my wife and I, we just had a conversation last week about, you know, uh, about how important it is that that the kids, you know, get to sit beside mommy and daddy and they get to be partakers in worship with mom and dad, or just mom, or just dad, you know, and uh, and how it provides an opportunity for us to set the example for our kids in uh, in how and uh, why we worship together. So, anyway, so you're going to have the opportunity to sing with them, and they're going to sing with you. So, but I will ask this: if the children, if you want to, you don't have to, but if the children want to stand up so that you can have your best vocal performance. Nobody wants to stand up? All right. I won't make you. So, all right, Jake, if you'll press that those buttons to give me a little bit of reverb there. This is Fill My Cup. We did it last week. You'll understand. Um, but here's where you help. You can help while you're seated, and that's absolutely fine. You see where we have parenthetical expressions? Let me explain what I mean by that. You see the little smiley faces, <laughs> the frown and the smiley face, and have the words in between? That's a part where you kids really need to be loud and proud, okay? So we'll sing Fill My Cup and Let It Overflow. And Gianni, what do you do? You say what? Uh-huh, right? You were here last week, right, for that? Yeah. So we'll say Fill My Cup, Let It Overflow. Uh-huh. Now I want to hear the kids sing that. Let's, let's just practice. Just one song. Let's do it right, okay? So let me help you with that. Fill my cup and let it overflow. There we go. All right, Gianni's leading, leading the charge here, right? Uh-huh. It's kind of sassy, but that's okay. I like that. So, all right, so we'll do that. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Uh-huh. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Oh, yeah. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Let it overflow with love. So there's three verses to that. The first is fill my cup. The second is Jesus loves me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The third is Jesus loves me, this I know. And it goes the same. All right, so kids... Let me hear you well. All right, so one, two, three, four. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Fill my cup and let it overflow. Let it overflow with love. Very good. All right, comfortable with that? We can move on to the next verse. All right, so here we go. Amazing grace. One, two, three, four. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Save the wretch like me, oh yeah. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Very good. Last line. Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh-huh. 
For the Bible tells me so, oh yeah. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he's strong. Very good. Give yourself a hand. You did a fantastic job, all right? Good job. Thank you, kids, so much for contributing uh, to this portion of our worship service. At this time, you can stay in your seats, but Austin's going to come up, and he's going to have a time of uh, our kids' moment, okay? Austin, you come on up. All right. Well, good morning, kids. It's good to see y'all. Uh, if you, you remember, normally we call you down front and we sit down and we have, you know, time together. But we're not going to do that this morning. I'm going to ask you to stay in your seats. Uh, but let's talk about God this morning. Um, we're going to be back in the, the book that we were back in months ago, you know, when you were like one and two years old. Remember that time? You know, uh, the book by Bruce Weir, uh, Big Truths for, uh, for Young Hearts. And so we just had started that book right before we kind of had to split and, you know, do all this uh, online worship and everything. So we've not been, been in there. But this morning we're going to get back into that. So this morning we're going to start the, uh, the, the section and we're talking about God is three in one. And the first part of that talks about God being one. There's only one God. Now, in other parts of the world and throughout history, Many people believe that there are multiple gods, and in fact, there are there are gods all over the place. And some gods have like control over different parts of the uh, of the world or different areas. You know, kind of like when you. How many of you have ever traveled? Have you ever been on a long trip? Kids, I'm asking kids. Joey, kids. Yep. Okay. All right. Been on a long trip. Okay. All right. If you've been on a long trip and you pass through states, and you were like, "What state are we in?" You know, what state are we in? And maybe you crossed over into like Tennessee or something and the road changed and you noticed it. And you're like, oh, we're in a different state. And then you crossed into another state. And you're like, oh, we're in a different state. You know, well, can you imagine like, OK, in different states, there's different speed limits. The signs look different, right? OK, there, there are different rules. There are different laws in different states. OK, and so it's important. Mommy and daddy, whoever's driving that that vehicle knows when you go into this state, these are the laws that you have to follow. Okay, well, some people believe that like there are different gods who have different control over different parts of the world or different things, and they have to know those gods. They have to make sure those gods are happy because if those gods aren't happy or they disobey that one particular god, there's going to be big trouble. Okay, so a lot of people believe this, but the Bible tells us that no, that's not true. There is one God. There is one God. You know, in the very, like, let me see, kids, where are you? Let me see your eyes. Okay, there we go. Thank you. All right. Everybody hold up one finger. How many, how many gods are there? One. Everybody say one. One. There's one. Do you know in the first book of the Bible, God makes sure that he tells us this. You know, you know what it says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you know what that tells us? In just that one verse, there's how many gods? One. And you, but do you know what? Not only is there one God, but God is what? He's creator, right? What does it tell us? He created everything. He's creator, but not only that, he's Lord, right? Okay, if you create something, okay, if you, if you make a drawing or let's say you do something in art class and you make pottery or something like that or you, you do something with crafts, all right, who does that belong to? Okay, belongs to God. Very good, Gianni. Okay, I'll give you a sticker later. That's very good. Okay, all right, bring it down a little bit, though. Okay, all right, who, you made it. Who does it belong to? It belongs to you, 
right? Okay, you made it, it belongs to you. Okay, now who, who can change it? Who can do something with it? Can just anybody come in and take your drawing and color all over it? If you have a sibling, you know, brother or sister, if they come do that, are you going to get upset? Oh, yeah, that's right. Marley, yeah, very upset. This has happened to her before, I can see. No. Okay, you get upset. Why? Because you, that's yours. It belongs to you. Okay, so in the same sense, God, the one true God who created the heavens and earth, he's the creator, but he's also Lord over it. He has rights over it. Okay, it belongs to him because he made it. Okay, he's ruler over it. So God tells us there's one God and he's creator and Lord. That's who he is. Later in the Bible, there's, a, there's an interesting story that, that appears in 1 Kings chapter 18. And the nation of Israel is, they're, 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 they're kind of seated, they're planted, and their neighboring, uh, the neighboring country, if you will, the Canaanites, they worship a God named Baal. Everybody say Baal. Baal. Okay, they worship a God named Baal. And the Israelites, they're like, I think we ought to go worship this God too. And Elijah, who was the prophet of God at the time, He's like, he comes before Israel and he's like, look, make up your minds. Are you going to worship the Lord your God or are you going to worship Baal? And you know what the Israelites say? Nothing. They don't say anything. And Elijah's frustrated. And he goes, look, I'm going to prove this to you. He goes up to Mount Carmel. Okay, now here's the thing about Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was, was, what the, was a place where the Canaanites thought this is where Baal, this is Baal's property. Okay, remember I told you earlier, God said I created the heavens and the earth, and many people believe, what? What do they believe about other gods? Well, this is their territory. This is where they rule. This is where they have dominion. Okay, well, well, Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel, and he says, look, bring all the prophets of Baal here. And he tells them all, look, build your altar, and you call your God uh, to come down and cause, this, cause your altar to burn up. Don't bring any flame, no sparks, nothing. You, your God has to burn this altar up. And so they do. They, put, they make these altars, and they're, they're praying. They're doing all this kind of crazy stuff, and nothing's happening. I mean, this is Baal's property. This is his mountain. This is what, if he's here, he's supposed to do this thing, and nothing's happening. And Elijah goes, okay, my turn. Now it's my God's turn, and he builds the altar. But you know what, you know what else he does? Ethan, do you know what he does? He builds the altar. He pours water all over it. All right. Fire, water, do those things mix, kids? Yes, no. No, they don't go together, okay? But, but Elijah pours water over it. And you can see that the, the Canaanites are like, oh, this is not going to be good. You're sunk. And, you know, and the Israelites are sitting there scratching their head going, what is he doing? And then Elijah prays, and he prays with all of his heart. And you know what happens? God causes the fire to come down, burns the altar up, and just soaks the water up. The water's gone. It evaporates. Okay, what did God just prove right there? This mountain belongs to me. Baal doesn't exist. I'm the ruler of heaven and earth. I created everything. It's all mine. And throughout the rest of Scripture, God proves himself time and time again. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, the, one of the key things that the Israelites would, re, would recite was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He's one. And we see this throughout Scripture. That God says, there's only one. It's just me. So no matter what other people say, no matter what you might hear, come back to what the scripture says. Who, who is God? There's only one. And he's made himself known. And he's made himself known to us in many, many good ways. And so this is a good thing. If there's only one God, you only have one you got to worry about. 
You only have one you need to actually know. You don't have all these other gods that you need to go and try and find out. Well, let's hear about them. Only one. But it's also a good thing because God is this God who is the one true God has made himself known to us in such good ways that he's merciful, that he's gentle, that he's kind. He's full of loving kindness. And he's especially made us known to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Here's what here's what Jesus said. John chapter 17, verse three. Here's what Jesus said about this one true God. He said, and this is eternal life that they know you, God, the father. The one and tr- and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we want to know this one and true God. We go to the scripture, we read the stories, we read what he said about himself, and we also know him through his son, Jesus Christ. We know his mercies and his grace. All right? Well, thank you guys. I appreciate y'all listening to me this morning. Let me pray for us. Okay, and then we're going to sing a few more songs. Father God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you and praise you. You, not all yous, but you, that you are one, one true God, and you exist in three forms, which we'll get to and talk about in the coming weeks, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And so, Father, we exalt you and we lift you up because of your mercy, because of your grace, and because you have made yourself known to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray all these things. Amen. Let's please stand all together. We'll sing. Behold the wondrous mystery. Thank you.
Good to sing together and not at a camera lens, I promise you that. In some places, they're not allowing gatherings to sing together. You agree with that or not, I'm glad we get to sing together. Oh, we lost his promise. 
Forever a holy 
hearts could rescue me from my fate. Who else could offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? take an opportunity to uh, one pray for those who are uh, sick and aren't with us this morning and, and those that have family members as well that are, are sick just talking with several folks this past week um, well, as I said mentioned earlier m- many are, are um, either either sick right now or they have family members or friends who are sick so we want to take the opportunity to pray for them um, and then also pray for our missionaries who are overseas uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer Father, we know that you you hold the heavens and the earth in your hands, that you spun galaxies into existence with just a word. And that, Father, you know even the smallest microorganism that we haven't even discovered. That you know all these things, Father, and that you... You're sovereign over them. You're sovereign over illness. It's not a surprise to you, Father, when someone gets sick. And so, Father, I pray for those who are in our church family, Lord, that are either have been diagnosed with COVID and are, are battling it right now, or who, ha- who have other forms of illness because uh, other viruses and other infections are still raging. It's not just COVID that we battle, but it's all illnesses that, that are around us. So, Father, I lift up these precious uh, brothers and sisters to you and just ask that your hand of grace would be on them to bring healing, that you would make their bodies well, that you would remove the infection from them. And that, Father, in the midst of their suffering and their struggle, that they would turn closer to you. It would drive them more and more 
to the foot of the cross to see Jesus and to cling to those things that are eternal and to hold more loosely to the things that are temporal. That you might use such illnesses, Father, for your glory by causing us to see better the value of Jesus and the value of the gospel that on the other side of the illness that we might treasure you more that we might be more free to give to others and to consider them more important than ourselves for your glory Lord so we ask for healing Father we ask for growth in the lives of fellow brothers and sisters they would grow closer to you and that you would be more and more brilliant in all of our eyes in the midst of this crisis. So would you do this, Father? Also pray for family members of, uh, of ours and friends who are sick. Lord, you would do the same in their hearts. And if they do not know Christ, this might be an opportunity for them to evaluate eternal things, to come and to know the one true God and to know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they might know you through him. Would you do this, Father? Would you give us courage also that in the midst of this that we would faithfully proclaim the gospel, that we wouldn't lose sight of it, but Lord, we would see just how crucial it is when the chips are down. So, Father, would you give us courage to take the gospel to friends, to family, to neighbor, to co-workers, and to the nations. And, Father, for our precious brothers and sisters who are in the nations, who are in these other ethno-linguistic groups, whom you have sent to take the good news of the gospel there, would you strengthen them? Would you protect and guard their bodies from illness? And if they are sick, Father, would you again just do the same? Drive them closer to Christ, that the gospel would become more of a precious stone to them and one that can be freely administered to others. Would they see the value of that all the more clearly? Would you give them courage? Give them courage. And would you open the hearts of the people around them, Father? Nothing happens without your hand. So, Father, whoever you put in, in, in their place, whoever you put in their close proximity, in their sphere of influence, Father, would you open their mouths to speak boldly of Jesus and his work on the cross, and then would you condition their hearts of the hearers to desire to know you more, to glorify you, to come under your lordship and to see that it's good, that your yoke is light. So, Father, would you do this? Would the, your gospel go forth, your word go forth in power and in glory? It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. To start off with, I want to let you know that I heard some pretty devastating news just the other day. And Joey, you'll appreciate this. They are 
possibly working on a reboot of The Princess Bride. And if you don't find that offensive, you should go home and watch The Princess Bride. Hey, Jake, you can bring the, the, the mic volume down just a little bit. I say that most of you know me. You know that I'm a movie guy. I like movies. Um, it's funny, as I get older, I'm more prone to crying at movies that I would not otherwise cry. I mean, I stay away from anything Hallmark. I don't have cable. If I did, I'd have to stay away from that. You know, as cheesy as those can be, it, it, it'll, it'll, just, it'll just happen. You know, Jamie, same, he's, he's in it with me. We're both 40, right? We're both the same age. Something happens. You've been crying a little bit longer than I have. But still, you know, it, you know, d- Forget, forget if, if there's a commercial or anything about a reunion, a guy who comes home, he's been on, on tour, he's been on leave or, or whatever, and, and, and he comes home and he's reunited with his family, it's over. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm just like, no, I'm just, the videos where the, the people put on the, the, the you know, the, the colorblind folks, they put on the, the spectacles and then they can see everything, forget that. It's, it's done, you know, whether it's grandpa or grandchild, I mean, they're, they're, oh, I can see it. I'm like, look. I can see too, brother. For the you know, I mean, like I understand. I, I'm feeling it, you know, and it makes me it makes me sad, you know. Uh, well, happy, sad, all this stuff. It just it gets me, all in the feels, right? So I'm a movie guy. I love dramatic movies. I love all all kinds of uh, all kinds of movies. Princess Bride, Star Wars, Rocky, Lord of the Rings, Count of Monte Cristo, just to name the best ones ever written. Uh, that's all. So, uh, but I like these movies, and I think I like them because of the mixing of genres. I like the fact that I can watch something that's dramatic. I can watch something that's comedy. You know, it can really appeal to a lot of my senses, a lot of the things that, that, that I like and that entertain me. Uh, I think that's one reason I like movies. They can meet me where I am in terms of, you know, my mood and, and, and all of this. Well, I started to think about the scriptures, and we know that the Bible is written in different literary genres. You know, you have uh, poetry, you have apocalyptic literature, you have narrative. There's a lot of different literature or literary genres that the Bible's written in. And uh, I started thinking through those, and if, you, and if you apply like movie genres and add some of those to the biblical literature, you see a lot of cool stuff. Romance, Ruth and Boaz, Hosea, following after Gomer, Joseph, and Mary. Um, I don't want to say Christ in the church because don't think in that in terms of romance, but think in terms of uh, pursuit of love, right? And so comedy, Austin mentioned it already this morning, the 450 prophets of Baal. I don't know if you've read that lately, but the exchange is pretty remarkable because these massive quantities of prophets they come and they do all their things they, they build their altars they put their animal on their day they do all of this and they call on bell for hours and hours the day goes by and no response but i don't know if austin mentioned this i was i was listening to 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 our kid yell and scream and trying to subdue her while he was trying to talk this just a while ago but I thought of how, how interesting, how funny, and how comedic it was that Elijah would say something like, uh, well, maybe he's relieving himself. The idea with him saying that in the scriptures is he's gone to the bathroom, give him a second, and, and, and your God will be back, maybe. That's funny. That's funny. There's a lot of places like that in the scripture that I think are comedic. Action, pick a battle, whatever you want. Israel against uh, Assyria, Israel against the Philistines, Israel, Israel against the Canaanites or the Amalekites. Pick your battle. I mean, it's action-packed. 
kids and family. And all I could think of for kids and family is there was a time where the animals were not eating humans. So that's kind of kids and family. Adventure, Paul's missionary journey, Noah's Ark, Daniel and the lion's den, horror, right? The Bible has tons of horror in it. Snakes consuming the children of Israel. Ten plagues devastate Egypt. And just read Revelation 16 when it talks of how Jesus will return. <laughs> if that doesn't horrify you, you have no clue what the horror genre actually is. Because when Jesus comes with daggers through his eyes and fire out of his mouth, with a tattoo on his thigh, with a robe dipped in blood, oh my, I mean, that's, that's horrific. Not for me or not for you as a believer, but for anybody that's not, woe unto them, right? So mystery, God ordaining that sin be, while at the same time hating sin and judging people for sinning. God telling Israel, to, uh, Assyria to attack Israel, and yet judging Assyria for doing exactly what he's told them. There's mystery. Paul mentions mystery of the gospel. So there's mystery all throughout the Bible. There's, it's a musical. The Psalms are sung. The children of Israel sing when you read the Exodus fiction i want to be careful when i say this jesus spoke in parables the bible is absolutely true but jesus often spoke in parables to use a story that was made up to share truths that are very much real i don't see so much of a western you don't see horses in the bible you don't see guns or cowboys and indians but there is crime the sins of Absalom, three Babylonian boys, even though they did what was right. But the law said, according to King Nebuchadnezzar, you bow down when you hear the sound of the horn, the trumpet, the pipe, the lyre, and all of these things. And you bow down and you worship this shrine that I've erected unto me. And they did not. They broke the law. As Daniel broke the law, there's crime. And of course, that leads us to today's text. Today's text gives us an initial look into what would become the darkest moment in all of human history. The betrayal of Christ leading to the scourging of Christ leading to the death of Christ on the cross. The darkest moment in human history. Although it's dark, it was also the brightest moment, right? Although it was the worst moment in human history, it was also the best moment in human history it's this interesting paradox that happens and we see that there is crime in the scripture specifically the crime of judas who is going to portray jesus for a measly 30 pieces of silver now here's what i'm not going to do today there's a lot that i want to get into with this portrayal because the actual act of betrayal comes in chapter 18 and we're only in 13 so there's more to come to that so as far as an objective, as far as you knowing what we will be covering today, here's my objective. I want to consider three things. And so for those of you that are visiting with us, we try to give an objective, or I try to give an objective every week so that it holds me accountable to staying in the lane that I'm trying to take us in. So here they are. They consider these three things. I want to consider first how the church should posture herself against evil. Secondly, I want to consider how the professing believers, how you and me, how we should test ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And then thirdly, I want us to consider what our treasures say about our loyalties. So that's the objective today. Normally it's not threefold, but today it is. So here's the text. We're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 32. So before I read it, let me just kind of give you a, a, a verbal setup of the scene. Okay, it's pretty simple. 
If you don't know this, when they would observe suppers in the first century, in first century, you know, in Jerusalem and places like that, is they would have a table, and the table would sit low to the ground. It's not like you would have chairs that would slide up under these tables. So when it says in this text that they were reclining at the table, it very literally meant they were reclining at the table. So you have all of these disciples that are literally, and I'm not going to lay on the, on the floor here, but they're laid over. Feet to feet, shoulder to shoulder, head to head. They're laid all like that around the table, and they're having conversation together. And maybe they would sit up to, to have a bite, and then they would recline like this, right? So this is what this looks like. It's an intimate setting. You know, they're enjoying a meal together. This is Passover time. They're having this meal together, and they're all having conversation with Christ. And this is what happens as the text unfolds. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Now, before we move on, I want to answer a question for you that you might be asking. What are these things? If you don't remember from last week, these things is a reference to what Jesus said prior when he basically points out that someone is going to betray him. That's why his soul is troubled. It's not because he didn't like the meal. It's not because he doesn't care for, for, you know, for, 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 for the disciples his soul is troubled because a great act of evil is about to be committed against him. He's not afraid of the cross. He's not wrestling in his bosom. He's not wrestling in his soul with whether or not he's going to go through with the plan. There's not a question of his obedience anywhere on the horizon. He's going to go to the cross. But if you notice in the pattern of Scripture what happens all the time is that when evil takes place, such as Lazarus has died, what does Jesus do? He weeps, he cries, he mourns because of the effects of sin, for the wages of sin is death. He's lost a friend, and his friends are grieving the loss of their brother. And what does he say? You know, he weeps. Why? Because his soul is troubled. When he's arriving in Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, what do we see? That Jesus begins to weep again. His soul is troubled again. Why? Because he knows that these people want a want freedom from the oppression of Rome. They're not interested, for the most part, in a savior of their souls. And it grieves his heart. It troubles his heart. And here we have again the acts of the enemy. Here we have again the, the depravity of man living out in almost its fullest potential. Not quite, but, its, but high potential. And his soul is grieved. So it says... His soul is troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table. And it doesn't tell us who that disciple is. A lot of the scholars think John, but I'm not going to pretend to know. So verse 24 says, so Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, and you get the image here, they're literally reclining back. Hey, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, I'd want to know. Is he talking about me? Does he know something that I don't know? I mean, he's the son of God. Surely he does. And so this has caused quite a stir amongst the 12. Who is he talking about? Somebody in this room? Do you understand who is represented in this room? Those who share in the most intimate knowledge of the happenings of the Savior when he's on this earth. Those who were, for the most part, privy to everything that he did, everything that he taught. He discipled them as rabbinic teachers would. They would take a small group of men, and they would travel with them 
all around, and they would teach them as they go. That's how these schools operated, and Jesus was very much a teacher to these men. So yeah, they're scratching their heads and saying, is he talking about me? They're wanting to know. So verse 26, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel and bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Maybe some of them were thinking, whew, it's not me. It's not me, it's Judas. Or maybe some of them were, I still can't believe it. He's been with us. I mean, he's been with us. I mean, what, what's going on here? I mean, put yourself, put yourself there. Read yourself. Take yourself to that moment in the text. You've been traveling for so long and you've seen all these things and you've developed these intimate relationships with these brothers or uh, you ladies, if you have intimate and close friendships with other ladies and you're, you trust one another, you confide in one another and all of a sudden someone doesn't just betray but to the highest degree and caliber and it's going to disturb you. And so Jesus dips the morsel and he gives it to Judas. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Notice, Satan entered him after he dipped the morsel. It wasn't that this plan happened as soon as Satan entered. This was to add insult to injury, or this was just to ensure that the plan would come to fruition. More on that later. And then Jesus leans over to him and he says, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, I don't know if he was talking to Satan or if he was talking to Judas or both. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell me. But it's interesting to think about. Satan entered him. The scripture doesn't tell us how Jesus knew that, probably because he was the son of God. I don't know if something happened to Judas's countenance or his face changed. I don't know. I just know that Jesus leaned in and he said, what you've done, what you've come to do, do quickly. So no one at the table knew why he said uh, this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving this morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. So there's the text. And so there's a few things that I want to show you from this text. Again, in a few weeks or months, however long it takes us to get to chapter 18, we'll unpack more about maybe the meaning behind 30 pieces of silver and delve more into Judas' his betrayal. But for here, I have three things that I really want to show you as I study this text, three things that stand out. And so the first is this. I believe that Christians, our response to evil should reveal more about our faith than it does with regards to our fear. Now, I know it's a catchy phrase today to say faith over fear, faith over fear. That's great. That's fine. That's absolutely true. I mean, that's biblical, right? We're to be people of faith, not people of fear. The Lord has not given you a spirit of timidity. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. He tells you do not worry about a thing. Don't worry about what tomorrow brings because who knows what a day might bring forth. Worry about today. Matthew 6, he tells us, don't worry, don't be anxious for anything. He tells you that I take care of the birds, I take care of all these other things, but you are mine, made in my image. How much more will I take care of you? So it's very clear that we have to be careful with this idea of fear. We can't just succumb to fear. There's a balance there between recognizing and having genuine concern for something that's legitimate and just giving in. Because the problem is, it's an unbelief issue and a distrust in the sovereignty of God. So when I say that the Christian response to evil should reveal more about our faith than it does about our fear, 
I mean that all the things that happen around us, all the things that are either directly evil or veiled or masked, but are truly evil behind all of that, that there's a way that we need to posture ourselves. There's a way that we respond to these things that shows that, hey, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because the world looks at that. There's a way that we have to respond to these things. So I'm addressing this issue because Jesus always postured himself against evil during his ministry. And we follow the example of Christ. You know, there's all these examples, like when Jesus was tempted by Satan, how does he respond? Oh, he doesn't say, well, I'm a little worried I'm going to get too hungry. I might not make it during this fast. You know, I'm a little worried that I'm going to give in. You're offering me this kingdom. Jesus already had the kingdom. He responds with scripture. He postured himself the right way against evil. There are people seeking to kill him over and over and over again. Sometimes, because his time had not yet come, what does he do? He disappears. He walks away. But he never runs in fear. He removes himself from a situation. Why? Because his time had not yet come. There are those not just seeking to kill him, but also seeking to trick him, to catch him as a, as a hypocrite, as someone who's duplicitous or speaks in double standards speaking th- uh, thinking specifically of the woman caught in adultery because the law said one thing and jesus seems to be saying something else so the pharisees say well <laughs> what say you and his response is is wonderful he says let he who's without the without sin cast the first stone and shut him down there's a way that he postures himself against evil and it's interesting that jesus was troubled in his soul this is not an affirmity or an infirmity or an imperfection in Christ to be troubled by evil. This is what A.W. Pink says. Listen, there's a difference in being troubled or bothered by evil as opposed to being fearful, uh, subdued, or weakened by evil. There is a difference. I'm not saying shame on you if genuine evil comes knocking at your door because the war is at your doorstep, by the way. It always has been. I'm not saying that you're wrong for having genuine concern and saying, hey, there's the, the Bible addresses a need for concern. It says, gird up your loins. It says, put on the armor of God. It says, there's something you need to do because this is a formidable foe. This is a reason to protect yourself with weapons of defense and weapons of offense. But there's a difference in being troubled and bothered by evil as opposed to being fearful, subdued, or weakened by evil. So fear paralyzes us. Fear gives way to us thinking that God is not sovereign, that we either have to take matters into our own hands or do something because God doesn't have this like the Bible says that he does. That's what being afraid looks like. It looks like backing down. It looks like running for the hills because we don't trust that God is, in fact, sovereign. You've heard of the term a functional atheist. That's what it looks like to be a functional atheist. Someone who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but the way your life is lived out, the way you function, as though you really don't have a Savior that's keeping you at all. But by contrast, to be troubled, this is the natural Christian disposition towards evil. You should be troubled. It should trouble your soul. It should trouble your spirit. It should concern you that there's evil at play. Whether it's in the form of a riot, whether it's in the form of whatever it is, you should know that we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but there's something beneath the surface of all of those things. And the weapons that we have are primarily 
the gospel. You wage war against the supernatural with the supernatural. We're not told to fear the one who can kill us, but to fear the one who can kill us and cast our souls into hell. We have to posture ourselves against evil in the right way because here's the reality. Christians cannot afford to be subdued or paralyzed by evil. We can't afford to succumb to fear because what happens when we succumb to fear? We become silent. And a silent Christian completely disrupts the overall biblical paradigm by which God has set in place to bring people to faith in Christ. I think that the enemy has three very, very potent tactics that he uses. And let me list those for you. I think one tactic that is very potent that he uses is distraction. Distraction, desensitization, and delusion. And I alliterated those just to help you remember them. Or me. Distraction, these are things that compete for your time. They compete for your attention. They compete for your affections. They compete for your allegiance. And they might not be intrinsically bad. But a good thing that becomes a God thing, that becomes an idol in other sense, is a bad thing, to borrow the words of Mark Driscoll from about a decade and a half ago. We get distracted by all kinds of things. Our, our, our pursuit of career, our, our social status. I mean, I mean I, we go to those all the time because those are very domineering, you know, uh, because they cater to who we are. We want to survive. We want to be well. We want our families to be well. So what's the answer? We put ourselves into work. And that's good and that's fine, but guess what? That can be a distraction. Even our parenting can serve as a distraction. We get all these things going on. The mission is here, but we have created our own mission, a new secular worldly mission. And every now and then, if we're lucky, the mission becomes an accessory to what our new agenda is. And that's flipped on its head and we need to do the reversal of that we need to say you know what what are the distractions in my life that keep me from the main thing what is taking me out of the lane that i need to stay in so we have to be careful with distractions because those are effective tactics that the enemy uses but also desensitization this is where you have so much exposure to evil that you fail to see the contrast between light and darkness, whether it's in what you watch. I told you I'm a movie guy. I used to be a horror movie guy. I used to love it. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about something. There's a lot of people that get into the horror movie, movie genre. They love those kind of things. And then when someone starts saying from a platform like this, watch out for these things. Watch out playing with Ouija boards or witch kits, because I've been around all that. Watch out for things of the occult. Oh, it's okay. I've watched this movie, and I watch that movie, and I do this, and I do that. And we become desensitized to the realities of evil that are there. I'm not telling everybody to go home and burn your Harry Potter DVDs or Blu-rays or your books. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there is something to consider when it's very real that we're no longer stricken by evil that's in the world. It doesn't take our breath away and say, this is... This is real. But sometimes we're desensitized to that. I mean, we watch shows. There's reality shows. Way before I, we haven't had cable in eight years. Well before that, there's reality shows of ghost hunting and all this paranormal stuff. It fascinates us. But then when you come up and you say, hey, this is what's really going on. Oh, I'm used to all that. People are desensitized. So they can't, they can't discern what's Hollywood and what's, what's real. And then there's delusion. This is when you don't consider evil to be as bad as it really is. 
ah, that's not that bad. You start to make light of or it becomes diminished in your mind's eye. And these are very, very dangerous and effective tactics that the enemy uses that will keep you from posturing yourself the way you need to. It takes a lot of spiritual sobriety and clarity to be able to see it for what it is and to face it head on because as I've said earlier, war is at your doorstep whether you like it or not. If we're not ready to properly stand against evil, we will become crippled and therefore silent. And I go to this because in this text, evil is staring Jesus in the face. Because it is every bit Satan's plan to attempt to destroy Christ. And so there's very real evil at work. And Jesus responds as he's responded to so many other things by posturing himself in the way that he should. He wasn't shaken. He wasn't stirred. He wasn't scared away. Come to do what you've come to do. Because there's a theology, there's an understanding by Jesus of whom God the Father is, of the power that is at work with God, with the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, and that there's a plan that Satan, not only Satan intends, but that God intends that will come to pass. So how do we do it? How do we stand against evil? I'll just make it very, very simple. You can read this for yourself, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We read it as our call to worship last week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand is an active posture here. You're posting up, you're bracing yourself for the war that's coming upon you. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, again, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, this is like the fourth time he said that, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's your weapon of defense, the gospel, the word of God. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer, supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So I see three weapons of offense that it gives you. Prayer, the word of God, and the gospel. He says, the war's upon you, evil's upon you, and here's how you posture yourself against these things, with truth, with truth. While the believers should stand firm against the evil one, we should also be continuously examining our lives to make sure that we're in the faith. Teaching point number two, the believer's life should be marked with self-examination. The believer's life should be marked with self-examination. Examination. This text serves as a reminder that we should remain aware of the realities of a wicked heart. We should remain aware of the reality of man's own depravity. Now, if you're in Christ, the scripture says that your heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, right? So it begs the question, well, what does that mean? Is my heart still wicked? And it's a hard thing to answer. I've heard scholars try to discuss that. But suffice it to say yes and no. 
Suffice it to say this, yes, there is still a sin nature in you, so there is still wickedness in you. But your heart has been replaced, not fixed, replaced according to the Scriptures. But we can't be delusional and think that we can't succumb to these things, that we can't fall. I mean, just look in the Scriptures. Let's just point to one, King David, a man after God's own heart. God never said that about anybody else. And we see the travesty of David's fall. He didn't just, he didn't just take another man's wife. He had that man killed to hide his, his crime. And yet, this is a man after God's own heart. Does self-examination mean that we don't trust the sufficiency of the power of Christ's atonement? No, no. But rather, it means that we are under no delusions with regards to our fallen state, our human nature. Continual self-examination is not only mandated in the Scriptures, because it is, but it connotes humility. And by the way, being, being conformed to the image of Christ most assuredly looks like growing and developing in the humility aspect of your life. Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. There's a call to go back to the text over and over again saying, let me just let me observe this. Let me check this out. Let me make sure that I'm, that I'm still good to go. This doesn't mean that you're a weak Christian. If you have doubts that float around from time to time, because I most certainly do, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're weak-minded. It doesn't mean that you're weak-hearted. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. If anything, it points to regeneration in your life. Because someone who's regenerate has the mindset that says, I want to make sure that my life is conformed to the scriptures and to the image of Jesus. And how else to do that other than going to the text itself? Self-examination is indicative of Christian development because it leans on the scriptures rather than on one another. And see, that's our fatal flaw all the time. Am I in the faith? Am I in the faith? Man, I've got this sin against me. I've got this. And I did this yesterday. I said this to my wife. I was impatient with my kid. My goodness, how can I be a believer when I've got this junk that surrounds my life all the time? Oh, I feel better now because Mark's done some worse things in his life as a Christian. I feel a little bit better. I'm glad Mark's around in his foul self because it, it, it really, really solidifies my salvation. You know, I don't know about his, but mine's good. That's not the standard. It's not the standard. It says go to the text, go to the scriptures. That's where you'll find your validation. No one had been in a more privileged position than Judas Iscariot and the other 11 at that time. I mean, they're in the, they're in the tight-knit quarters relationally as far as their connection with Christ. I mean, the Scripture says that there would not be enough books in the world to contain all the wonders of Jesus. And you have to just imagine that these guys that spent three years with him these guys saw things that aren't recorded in the text, and yet Judas still sits there, looks him in the face with every intent to betray him for a measly 30 pieces of silver. What does it say about a man like that? What that tells me is that if a man like that that can be exposed to all the wonders, the works, and the words of Jesus, if he can look Jesus in the face time and time and time again, if he can be privy to all those things and still stare the man dead in the face with every intent of betraying him to his death, what does that mean to me? 
What does that mean of me, this broken, fallen human that can't make it through a day without mistakes? That hardly ever loves Jesus the way that I should. What does that say about me? And I'm not here to make you doubt your salvation, but and we don't have these kind of sermons often, but um, welcome visitors. <laughs> but let me say, this is good for you. This is good for you. Go to the text and find assurance that matters. Not because someone said, well, did you mean it when you prayed it? Because I've done that before. Hey, you prayed this prayer, so uh, write it down. And regardless of how you feel 10 years from now, I'm guilty of this. Regardless of how you feel 10 years from now, you can go back to this letter and know that you meant it because that's what you wrote down. I have no doubt that you meant it. I have no doubt that when Cain called out to God and then the response was, he found no repentance. He found no forgiveness. Even though he called out for it, what does that mean? He thought he wanted it, but at the end of the day, he did not. His heart had deceived him so much. He was sorry for what would be the consequence, but not sorry for his offense against a holy God. A heart that is given to death is a heart that can never see life until God replaces that heart. Therefore, we must test ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. This instance with Judas gives us reason for self-examination. This should be the mantra of the Christian life. This should be the regular practice of your life, whether you're doing well or whether you're doing poorly. Going back to the text and saying, how do I line up? How do I do that? We test ourselves all the time, people. We do all these tests for cancer because guess what? You don't want cancer, right? We do these things all the time. We test things. Austin Jowers will build things, but before he builds things, he will make scales, like 77 scales before he makes the actual thing. Why? Because he's wanting to test his method. He's wanting to test to make sure this fits and that fits and this does all of these things. You know, we test things all the time. Why? Because we care about the outcome. We go for checkups. We get physicals. Why? Because we care about our physical health. But here is the question. If we do not go back to the text and say, okay, time for self-examination, do we care about the health of our soul? Man, I'm quick to go to the doctor. I'm quick to it. Sarah, I've got a splinter in my hand. Surgery, babe. I'm going to get infected. I'm going to get stabbed, and I'm dead. If I'm dead, you have no reason to go on, honey, because I'm gone. You know, there, I, I struggle with these things, right? So I'm like, what's, what's, what's the issue? I, te I, I, I test myself with things all the time. Because I care about my health, but what about my soul? If we say we care about our soul, if we say we care about conformity to Christ, growth in Christ, then what does that look like? It looks like going to the scriptures and saying, how do I line up? How do I match up? For a biblical reference, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6, this is the third time I am coming to you, Paul says. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. He says, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves 
Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Too many people rest on a prayer, or whether they meant that prayer. And I'm not saying, don't petition the Lord. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's legit. The problem is thinking that just something audible that escapes your mouth does it. And even in that moment, if you're, I was so sincere, I meant it, I didn't want to go to hell, I love Jesus, he showed me great things, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, but five, six, seven, ten, twenty, thirty years down the road, there's not a shred of evidence for that kind of supernatural, life-altering, world-shaking change in your life, you have to go back and say, what's the disconnect? I felt something there, but the standard's not your feeling, the standard is your belief, and the standard is your continuing that's 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 what we dealt with when we preached through another book of the Bible. It has escaped me because I wasn't planning on this in my notes. But well, I think it was John, and he talks about this is how you know if people are in Christ. And that's whether or not they remain. So what's the application for this? And then we'll come to the last and we're done. The last is the shortest. So here's the application. I'm just going to read to you a couple of tests that you can do. Kids, you got out of school way too early, so you're getting some tests today. So test number one, having the benefit of living on this side of the cross and having on record all that Christ has done, that he's revealed anyway in his word and is doing, are you moved or are you unmoved by that? And this is a generalization. This doesn't mean moment to moment because we have dark days, unfortunately. But in the broader scope, if you look at your life, are you moved by what God is doing in your life and God in general, or are you unmoved? Are you stirred and your affections stirred, or are you stagnant? And we have these moments where we're stagnant. I get it. But if the pattern of your life is, man, I've been stagnant way longer, I say examine yourself. Examine yourself. Test number two, are, you, are your motives, your actions, your thoughts, your protests, internet world, etc., are they rooted and tethered to the gospel? Test yourself. Test number three, see how your ideologies, your preferences, and your presuppositions line up with the scriptures. Because if you're going to wage war against anything or for anything, or you're going to crusade for anything or against anything, make sure it's rooted in the gospel. Make sure it's rooted in truth. See how your life, test number four, now as a Christian compares to your life before or when you first started following Christ. Because the promise is that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. You see, everybody's born, made in the image of God, but only those who are followers of Jesus are being conform to the image of Jesus and that's a continuous action that God as the active agent is doing he's chiseling away all the things that don't look like Jesus in your life until finally finally one day you can be finished at the day of Christ Jesus because he who began a good work and you will be faithful to his completion the day of Christ Jesus test number five where do you store up your treasures What are your treasures? What are the things 
that hold the most sway in your life. And you may think, I don't, I don't really have bad treasures. What about your children? We've used this example before, but the mom or the dad whose child is of age, and that child says, I feel God calling me. I feel God calling me to the mission field. I feel God calling me to go behind enemy lines, to, to go to these very difficult places where, where Christians are hated and not tolerated and sought after to kill. And then mom or dad says, no, that's not going to happen. You know why that's not going to happen? Because in that moment, in that moment, mom or dad has made an idol, not just out of their children, but out of the relationship, out of safety, out of all these things. That's a very slippery slope. But we step back and we take a wide angle lens and we say, what does the scripture make very clear? That we are sojourners, that we have a mission, that this is not our home, that we're passing through and here are the objectives and then we end up at our final home. So we have to be about the business of what the business is while we are here. So where do we store up treasures? Test six, compare your life to First John. If you are feeling particularly weak today or like a pretty worthless Christian today, don't read 1 John today. <laughs> it will destroy you. It will destroy you because it's line after line after line and you walk away saying, oh my, I need repentance and faith like a champ, right? Read that when you're feeling pretty good and then it will humble you and you'll, it'll balance out. I think self-examination is in most cases key evidence of being in Christ final teaching point here finishing the text so in the text we have Jesus reclining back he give, he dips the morsel and he gives it to Judas indicating who is the one that's going to um, betray him the disciples see this they're confused what's going on he said this is going to happen this is this is wild this is this is crazy and then Jesus makes a comment and he says Judas was Judas went out, it was night, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and glory him at, and glorify him at once. When Jesus takes the morsel, it's interesting that Jesus dips it and hands it to him. Jesus obviously knew who was going to betray him. Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, hey it's, it's you, man. Why didn't he just say it? Why, why the theatrics? I don't, why dipping and handing? Why, why doing that? Well, one scholar argues, argues it this way, and I'll just piggyback that. He says, because it's this idea of adding insult to injury. It's like the double life sentence. It's like those who are already not regenerate. And in the book of John in chapter 12, John saying, hey, hey, here's what happens. God has hardened their heart. He has blinded their eyes. What's the reason? Why, why would there be language like that if they're already in unbelief? It's the same kind of thing going right here in John 13 where he dips the morsel to show, to show the grip and the level of depravity in those who are not in Christ. To show how far our nature will take us if we are not gripped by Jesus, if we are not kept by Jesus salvifically. It compounds the offense of this crime. For Judas to betray the hand that fed him showed the level of depravity that ravaged his soul. 
Another way of seeing this is to say that this is the great offense, the offense of spitting at the grace of God. Can you imagine? Of course we can, because we've all been guilty of that. And then it says that Satan entered Judas as soon as Jesus handed him the morsel. And then Jesus said, what you've come to do, do quickly. And Judas left out of the room. And then Jesus starts speaking about how he will be glorified. So to close, I think there's two things I need to mention with regards to what's happening in this last section of the text. First, I think we need to understand that our greatest treasures and our truest loyalties are two sides of the same coin. Our greatest treasures and our truest loyalties are two sides of the same coin. You will always give your attention, your time, and your loyalty to the things that matter most to you, to the things that you hold dear. You will always give your time, your attention, your loyalty to those things. Judas was a lover of money. His loyalty was to the highest bidder. We can find something, someone in scriptures to identify with most often. We don't have a problem identifying with, with Peter, right, who stuck his foot in his mouth sometimes or whose life seemed to be out of balance. We're okay to say, yeah, I identify with Peter. Peter denied Christ. And we're still okay to say, yeah, I'm, I'm like Peter sometimes. I say things I shouldn't say. You know, I'm, I'm out of balance, out of whack sometimes. We don't have an issue identifying with Paul. And that's not being uh, pretentious or presumptuous or, or haughty. It's just saying, hey, Paul said he was a chief of sinners. I can identify with that. Because I can look around in this room and say, I'm a chief of sinners. And maybe you would say that, that uh, of yourself, and hopefully not of me. But, but I, I get that. So I can identify with Paul when Paul says, why do I do the things that I hate, but I refrain from doing the things that I love? I can identify with that because I sometimes gravitate to the things that I hate. I can even say I can identify with Balaam. Balaam had to have a donkey rebuke him. <laughs> I can identify with that. I'm, I'm that way sometimes. I've got to have a donkey speak truth into my life and shut me down. But Judas? <laughs> I can't say I identify with Judas. I don't, I don't hate Christ. But do you know that we identify most with Judas when the treasures of this world tip the scales in our life? When our treasures over here in Christ over here, when they are tipped in favor of the treasures. I'm not saying you are a Judas, and I'm not saying you're lost. I'm saying, but that's when you look most like Judas, and that's when I look most like Judas. And this teaching comes with a warning, and the warning is to make sure that your loyalty can't be bought for the right price. Make sure that you cannot be sold to the highest bidder but that your loyalties and your allegiances lie solely and completely to Christ. Jesus, Judas, sorry, his loyalty was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Arguably, depending on the currency, would be about 300 to $600 modern-day equivalent. Let's say 600 Would you sell out Jesus to his death for $600? I've bought a lot of things that probably became idols in my life, if I'm just honest. But $600 to betray the Son of God. So I think the simple application is to store up treasures in heaven. Saturate your life with heavenly things, and heavenly things will saturate your life. 
And the final thing is this, what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. This is taught throughout the scriptures, and this is the thought that I want to leave you with, because I mentioned at the beginning that what happens is Judas, Satan enters Judas, Satan has an agenda, the agenda is to destroy Jesus, he hates Jesus, right? And so his agenda is coming to fruition, just like it did when Joseph was sold into slavery, just like it did when, when any countless numbers of sins or crimes happened throughout the scriptures or in life. But also understand that what Satan is intending for evil, what he is acting on for evil, God is acting on for good. So there's one action, two intentions. There's Satan's, which is purely evil, and there's God's, which is purely good. Understand that God is sovereign and all things that come to pass come to pass under his final and definitive decree according to his forbearance, his love, his mercy, justice, all of his attributes. All these things come to pass under his sovereignty and guess what? No matter what it is, he is still good because there's no darkness in him. So we believe two fundamental principles that God is sovereign, that he is good. So those are the lenses that we're seeing everything happen no matter what it is. Things easy to swallow, things hard to swallow. We say, Satan is meaning something for evil, so there is evil happening, but God is intending something for good. He's not making lemonade out of lemons. He's actually doing things by decree that are good and for his glory. That's why Jesus says, he goes out and God will be glorified. Why is God going to be glorified with the betrayal of Judas? Because it was God's intention that Jesus would go to the cross. And so though Satan tries, never forget, way back at the beginning of the scriptures, when Job is attacked by Satan, God initiated it, and God lengthened the chain on Satan's neck, or God lengthened the chain on Satan so that he could do just that or just this, but only according to what God would say, because God's in control of all of this. So that's what it means when it says that God would be glorified. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus goes to the cross. We know that he gives his life. And we know that because he gave his life, he completed the gospel through his death and his resurrection. And we know that because of that, for anybody that would call on Jesus, for anybody that wants to be rescued from their sins, they would call out to Christ and in Christ alone. Because Jesus said very clearly that there's no other way to be right before God except through him. Whoever confesses with their mouth will be saved. It says, with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why is that possible? Because God's plan to be glorified in Jesus through the gospel is coming to fruition. So we don't look at the betrayal, the darkest moment in history, the, 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 one of the strongest indications of man's depravity played out right here before our eyes. We don't look at that and we say, oh, woe is me. We say, you know what? The darkest is also the brightest. The worst is also the best. Why? Because it brings about God's good in, by which and through which he is bringing men to himself. And he does it successfully. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, you are good to us. We acknowledge that. Father, you pursue us. You keep us. You hold us. We thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the people here who have decided to come out here. Lord, I know there's concern. I know there's 
uh, reason for caution. Lord, I have to believe that people are here because they want a fellowship with the body. You know, Lord, that, that, that this matters to them so much. Not that it doesn't to others, but I'm thankful for the ones that are here. Lord, I pray that whether it's someone hearing this message in person or hearing this message online, Lord, that it might give them cause for pause and to think. Lord, it might take us to a place of introspection where we can examine ourselves. Lord, where we can look after our soul and not just our bodies. Lord, where we can do what's necessary to make sure that our lives are lining up. We know that we fail. Lord, we know that. The Scripture promises us that. Lord, so I, I pray that we would not be gripped by the fear of, of, of a mistake that we make every now and then. But, Lord, at the same time, we would have a very sober approach to this self-examination, Lord, and that we would take that seriously and that we would regularly compare ourselves to what's expected of us as those who have identity that's rooted in the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray for all of the people here and the people that, that belong to Haven Ridge that are not here and the people that are watching that might not belong anywhere. Lord, I pray that you would show us great and wondrous things. Lord, that you would captivate our hearts. Father, that you would uh, cause our allegiance to grow. Lord, that, uh, that if, we've, if we've strayed, Lord, that your kindness would lead us to repentance, as the scripture says, that we might walk back in step with you and we might get back in the lane that we have to be. And Lord, I thank you uh, for the calmness and for the quiet that we've had over these last minutes. Lord, to, to just talk about things. Lord, I thank you for these children that are here. I pray that you would teach them great and wonderful, timeless truths, Lord, that, uh, that, that I might not be able to communicate, but Lord, that you would cause it to land in a way that produces a crop in them. And Father, would you keep us and take care of us and cause us to look more like Jesus as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're dismissed.